1: You're listening to a podcast from the South China Morning Post.
2: Hello, and welcome to the China Geopolitics Podcast. My name is Chad Bray. This week, you most likely have been hearing a lot about the global supply chain, this phrase that describes the planes, trains, ships, and trucks that bring stuff you want to the shops in your part of the world from the place where it's made, which is usually in China.
0: Taken a recent trip to your local grocery store or retail store, you may have noticed some sparse or even empty shelves. Well, it's all because
1: of the global supply chain crisis that's happening the right supply now. Supply chain isn't functioning as it normally does.
2: If you're in the U.S. or the U.K., you've been hearing about your end of the chain—the container ships, the cargo docks, the truck drivers. But today, we're taking you to the other end of the chain—the beginning of it all. If you've ever bought something with a made-in-China label, there's a very good chance it came through a massive wholesale market in a place called Yiwu. One of my colleagues from the political economy desk has been walking through there talking to the shop owners and traders to get a sense of what Christmas is looking like for consumers in the West. I can tell you that I've got a list and it's not worth checking twice. Ongoing power outages, COVID restrictions, and soaring cost on global container shipping. There's not much that's nice. But first, we're going to hear from Mark Magnier in New York. He's been following the return of the United States to the UN's Human Rights Council. What does it mean for the other nations to have the two biggest kids in the schoolyard facing off once again after a three-year break? And is there anything that the U.S. and China can agree on? We're going to hold on to our Tickle Me Elmo's quite tightly. Let's get on with the show. Mark Magnier uh, joins us from the New York Bureau of the South China Morning Post. Mark, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Now, Mark, the U.S. has received a clear majority of votes to return to the U.N. Human Rights Council uh, last night. It must be refreshing to have an election in the U.S. that doesn't result in conspiracy theories and uh, angry protest.
1: Well, you certainly don't have angry protests. It's a, always a complicated political situation in the U.S. So you have Republicans who, if you'll recall, uh, the U.S. is reentering the Human Rights Council because uh, the Trump administration left in a bit of a huff in 2018. Trump was no great fan of multilateral organizations. And there was a feeling that they were ganging up on Israel and some of the usual complaints. That has very much returned to the fore. The ranking minority member on the uh, Senate Foreign Relations Committee today slammed the administration for rejoining, saying that uh, this was a sham, that it's a non-democratic process, and that it is... A, um, an organization that allows clear human rights violators such as Saudi Arabia and China and others to be members.
2: And you've spoken with some analysts who were concerned that the U.S. focus on China would sort of draw the focus away of the Human Rights Council on other topics. So what are you hearing?
1: Well, the the people I'm talking to, it's a bit mixed. Some believe that uh, the Human Rights Council with U.S. membership will sort of focus on some of the broader issues that are part of the Biden agenda, which include women's rights and rights of the minority and the uh, LGBTQ issue and others. Others who have been watching the council very closely in the last seven or so months, because even though the U.S. is joining now as a full member, it came on as an observer in February. think that the polarization that we're seeing uh, on the uh, council, primarily focused on U.S.-China, but also basically uh, between the democracies and the uh, more autocratic countries, uh, has become so pronounced that it uh, takes all the oxygen out of the room, and that essentially you, the group that both of the major blocks are trying to appeal to, which are smaller countries in Africa and Asia and Latin America, that some of the issues that they want and are concerned with are not being focused on.
2: Yeah. And and according to the U.S. ambassador to the UN, Linda Thomas-Greenfield, some of the topics the U.S. wants to focus on, and you mentioned some of these, but they include women's rights, racial injustice, and the treatment of ethnic minorities. But right now, you've got the, the state of Texas criminalizing women who want to have access to abortions. You have the U.S., um, at last count, 47 states. They've introduced laws to restrict voting for African-Americans, for, for black people. And the Biden administration has just forcibly returned thousands of refugees to Haiti, You know, an earthquake-ravaged country. That sounds like a lot for the uh, U.S. to be campaigning for other countries to change their behavior.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I don't know that the Biden administration has been wholesale returning people, but they've been turning them away at the border. And I think uh, most countries are in a d- difficult position on that one. China also has that issue when there's fighting in Myanmar and many refugees kind of push up against their border. There's no question that I think democracies have uh, a lot of problems right now. And that is some of what we're seeing, I think, in this in the Human Rights Council. But to their credit, whether they mean it or not, the U.S. has said, we have problems. Uh, the Secretary of State, Tony Blinken, said that today. We have problems. There's no question about it, and we would like a thorough look at our own problems, and we hope that other members of the council will do the same. Now, whether that, you know, everybody can kind of say that, whether they want a full examination, it may be another question. But that is, in theory, the spirit that the U.S. is trying to uh, express.
2: And, uh, you know, within the the council and sort of the talk about this, are there any clear subjects that the U.S. and China have, have, have signaled they would reach an agreement on?
1: The broader context over this last year, from those who have watched carefully, has just been this absolute bitter tit-for-tat. So the U.S. will criticize China through perhaps some of its proxies through the U.K. or something, the United Kingdom, and then China will come back and criticize the U.S. It has become so embittered. Um, the U.S. will put through a joint statement with, say, 32 countries, and China will come back with a joint statement with 50 countries. It's, it's. Everybody describes it as, you know, kind of two kids in the, uh, in the sandbox. Sometimes. So what has happened? What the the bit of potential optimism that we've seen on the council in the last half a year or so was the uh, agreement on a new fundamental right. Um, which is the right to a clean, healthy, and sustainable environment. And this is the first independent right that appears to be agreed on in in decades. And obviously, we're we're moving into um, the environmental meetings in Glasgow. And so uh, that does show a, a bit of potential agreement with this very partisan environment.
2: And in, in terms of Biden's agenda with this, uh, who's he really trying to reach? Is it the domestic you know, base? Is it the progressives? Or is it you know, more of making an appearance for you know, African, Latin American, and Asian nations that the U.S. is competing with China to uh, you know, gain influence?
1: as we all know i think uh, foreign policy has never divorced from domestic policy in any country <laughs> you know uh, right now with the us and china we see them both playing to their bases but i think his his bigger attempt is really to try and strengthen the strategy that he's developed, uh, or is trying to posit uh, vis-a-vis China, which is to align with partners and allies who have similar frustration, and so that is playing itself out in many ways as not only uh, trying to come up with standards and transparency and tech issues, but also a a world view—the uh, idea that uh, individual rights are important and that democracies. Uh, Are important as well. And of course, China is trying to do their own version of that, that human rights is, for instance, uh, the uh, raising of 400 or 600 million people out of poverty and that freedom from personal fear with a strong police and security environment is also a human right.
2: And, Mark, before we let you go, you know, we're going to talk a little bit more about this later in the podcast. But I wanted to bring up sort of the supply chain issues that have been affecting both sides of the Pacific as well as, you know, other parts of the the globe. Um, You know, uh, Biden uh, had a big announcement, you know, last night uh, regarding this. And so I wanted to sort of get you to tell us a little bit about what he's trying to do to stop this sort of gumming up of the global supply chain.
1: Yeah, so as you've probably seen, uh Biden's poll numbers have have really taken a hit in the in the last several weeks. Part of that is Afghanistan, but I think the the electorate is kind of petulant right now. COVID has not gone away and then you start seeing the prices are rising in many ways. Uh, fairly significantly the first time we've seen this in over a decade. And so a lot of that is constraints in the supply chain. And you don't mess with American shoppers. <laughs> this is it's the biggest consumer market in the world, two-thirds of the U.S. economy. The U.S. loves its credit cards. Uh, don't stand between me and the cash register. And so I think Biden is very uh, concerned. There are headlines: Can he save Christmas? Uh, <laughs> you're being, you know, uh, warned to try to uh, get things uh, well in advance. So what Biden announced and what he's trying to do is quite tricky because there's only so much he can do. A lot of the logistics are in the hands of private uh, enterprises. So he's gotten the port of Los Angeles to work 24-7, which the port of Long Beach already did. These two ports account for uh, around 40% of the container traffic into the United States. But then it's kind of like, you know, whatever your metaphor is of a snake eating an elephant or something, you're then going to run into another constraint with trucking or something else. So that's a big problem. And then he's also leaned on Walmart and FedEx and UPS and Target to try to get them to work 24 hours or something close. But it's a concern. And I think even if you could fix it. The supply chains take months. And so those goods will probably not make it in time for Christmas at this point. And this contributes to consumer confidence. And I'm sure Biden is also thinking about the 2022 midterm election and all this.
2: And really, is there much that they can do between China and the US on this? Or is it more because you've got the backlogs where you've got ships out in the harbor? You've got containers stacked higher than they, you know, should be at ports, and people were running out of space. I know even in the UK, they're talking about similar issues right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, you've got essentially people sitting through the pandemic that are addicted to shopping online, and then you have this massive demand that has popped up once the worst of the pandemic has lifted and i don't see some magic solution that can happen bilaterally or most of anything you could do to ease trade restrictions between the us and china should that happen and and there are political issues there would take months if not a year or more to work their way through the system
2: and, you know, looking ahead to, to next week, what do you see the the sort of focus of the agenda? Is, you know, upcoming G20, is the, the COP26, are, are those kind of uh, meetings going to sort of take away all the air from this, or are we going to see things like the supply chain still dominating headlines in the U.S.?
1: Uh, you know, <clears throat> that expression, all politics are local. I think people care about their gas prices and they care about the price of their kids' toys as they try to buy them for Christmas. I think for those that watch closely, his efforts to get a global minimum corporate tax is obviously interesting. I think not only within the U.S., but around the world, there will be close focus on what kind of commitments Biden makes at the environmental meeting and at G20 vis-a-vis the environment. And also, you know, again, politics always have a large part, whether he can get that through Congress with his legislative agenda. And then, of course, the other part will be the the fun part, I guess he's expected to meet with uh, the French president, Emmanuel Macron, and um, this uh, acting out of angry ally and how that fits in with uh, Biden's efforts to have a more unified front with partners and allies.
2: Well, Mark, we hope that you get the cabbage patch kid that you want for Christmas this year. We'll see how the supply (laughs) chain works out. And thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to speak with you.
2: As critical news stories emerging from China continue to shape lives and business around the world, the weekly SCMP Global Impact Newsletter brings you expert analyses and insights on the economics of COVID-19, society, technology, and the environment. Sign up to receive your weekly email at scmp.com newsletters. Imagine you're walking in a massive shopping center, much bigger than a Super Target or a Walmart. On the left you see booths selling bracelets, keychains, umbrellas and paintbrushes. On the right you see booths selling electronics, dresses, stationery and toothbrushes. It stretches for acres and acres. This is Yiwu International Trade City. It's the world's largest wholesale market. It covers an area larger than Central Park, and it sells more than 400,000 different kinds of products. While consumers like you and I can buy things from here, most of the products are exported to other countries, not just to America, Europe, and Australia, but also to India, the Middle East, and Africa. It's where all of the shopping centers in the world go to shop. You may never have heard of it, but I bet you've bought something from here before. Think about all the products you own with a made-in-China label. They probably came from the Yiwu market. You know what else has those made-in-China tags? Christmas supplies. That includes the Christmas lights, the wrapping paper, the ornaments, and the toys. But the pandemic, labor shortages, and extreme weather have created a perfect storm, the global supply chain crisis. As October turns into November, I reckon I can predict your future. In a few weeks, you'll be doing your Christmas shopping. But unlike previous years, you won't be able to buy all the things on your list, and you'll be reaching deeper into your pocket as prices have gone up. And now, there are warnings that we should be expecting fewer presents under the Christmas tree. My colleague Luna Sun has been walking the aisles at the Yuul market, and she joins us now. Hello, Luna. Thanks for joining us. Hi. Now, uh, you, you've recently visited the uh, Yiwu International uh, Trade City market. And could you tell us a little bit about this market and what it's like to walk around there?
0: Yeah, definitely. I was there yesterday. It is the world's largest wholesale market for small commodities. Um, You can find pretty much everything there. Like you said, everything you see in the U.S. with a tag that says made in China is probably from there. There's like jewelries, hats, toys, tools, socks, artificial flowers, everything. And the place is huge. There are six or five districts now and I think more are being built at the moment and just one district is huge enough it takes you about 30 minutes to walk from one side to the other and because of the recent power cuts there's no escalator inside and there are four or five floors so I had to you know walk the stairs everywhere it was exhausting Mm -hmm. plus to add to this misery there's no AC and it's really hot there. It's 30 Celsius. And it's really humid in this Chinese southern city. So it was really um, stuffy inside. And everyone is using either a fan or some sort of a tool to help them feel better.
2: And Luna, what, what are people sort of talking about there right now? Are, are they more concerned about things like the power outages and, and the fact that they don't have air conditioning or, or you know, the the resurgence of COVID? Or are they talking about things like the global supply chain and and sort of the issues that we're seeing dominate headlines elsewhere?
0: Things are slow or slower than usual in some parts of the market because a lot of these businesses actually used to do work with international traders. And now due to COVID restrictions, um, there are still some number of foreign traders in the market. But I was told that there used to be a lot more and the aisles were empty and there were many shoppers and the whole area seemed slow and people were either sleeping because it was so hot and there's no business and some people were doing some handiwork they were making small jewelries because they couldn't make income from the shop they're running and i was talking to this person who sells suitcases And businesses have not been easy for them because since COVID, raw material prices has been skyrocketing and economy has not been good. So people are not buying as much anymore. People used to travel when they need suitcases and now people don't really travel as much anymore. Um, So not that many people are buying suitcases and especially because every part in this supply chain is being affected by this whole covid and the shipping costs increases and the power outages so the prices are rising in every part in this supply chain and as the seller these people have to take the damages themselves because they can't really raise the prices. So, but, you know, Chinese people are, are very hardworking and they don't usually like to complain. So she said, we're just hanging in there, you know, and w- when do they come? So when we can't make it anymore, we'll try to think of other ways to survive. You know, especially people from this area, they have a long history of doing the hard work and making it work and doing business and stuff. Um, so there's nothing really they can do about it. So I think they're staying optimistic or, or at least trying to stay optimistic about things. But things haven't been easy for them.
2: Let me sort of recap this a little bit. So this is a situation where normally this bustling market would have foreign travelers coming from all over the world, but but they're not coming because of covid And you've also got the power outages that are affecting uh, lots of parts of of China and making business just much more difficult. But who is buying now, if anyone's showing up at all? Is, Is it sort of people will focus on the domestic market in China?
0: Yeah, so when you're walking around the IU international market, basically, sometimes you can see people holding their selfie stick, with their phones on and talking to, I don't know, some live audience, I would assume these people are from Taobao. Um, they are making a live, live show of their purchase process in you, And so a lot of people who are still buying from the market are domestic businesses. There are still some um, foreigners seen in the market, but I would assume there are a lot more. Especially now, it should be a busy season for them because Christmas is coming, Black Friday is coming. But now, especially I was in the scarves and hats aisles, and a lot of storefronts were closed. I was really shocked because I, I would assume that now is especially a golden time for scarves and hats. But I was asking around and people said these stores, some of these stores have been closed for a long time and because there's no business anymore. And these businesses are the ones that used to do trade with foreign traders and asked someone, where are they now? And then they said they are at the stores where they do more domestic businesses.
2: And so we keep seeing big headlines everywhere talking about the, the cost of a container. I, I was reading a, a piece on the BBC just yesterday that was talking about how a shipping cost for a, a toy is now $7 of a $15 toy is is just the container cost to ship something from China. Are those kinds of issues really, you know— Permanent people's minds at all in this market, or are they just more worried about the fact that their own costs are going up and they don't have customers who are coming in?
0: I think for the business people at the market that I talked to, they didn't really mention anything about shipping costs, because I think a lot of them that are still doing business there are, you know, focused more on the domestic market, or they do smaller businesses that really don't have that much things to do with shipping. But I was talking to this business owner who does international trade, and 70% of his businesses were with U.S. companies, and the other 30 are with European companies. And he said because of this um, power cuts before the the golden week, the national holiday in China, he had to pay a lot more in shipping because he was supposed to be able to deliver his goods before the holidays and now, due to the power cuts. His shipments were all delayed.
2: Yeah. And and so, you know, how much are those power cuts dominating the conversation in China? What are people saying?
0: I think different players um, in the market really have different opinions or are affected in very different ways. So for the bigger companies, they're usually able to stockpile some of the raw materials. So if there is a sudden a price change, it wouldn't affect them too much. Like, for example, this big international trade company that I was talking to, he usually has like two months, three months of um, packaging stored away. Um, So even if there's a sudden price change, it wouldn't affect them. In fact, it would actually maybe benefit them because they would make more money when price goes up. And for smaller companies, they have to constantly be buying raw materials and an instant price change would affect them. And they're actually the ones that are taking the brunt of the disruptions. So for this smaller packaging factory that I was talking to, power cuts are only one of the last straws that's adding to her stresses because prices have been going up since COVID and everything um, have just been difficult. And now with the power cuts, there's limited ability to produce. So she has to stop taking orders or she had failed to deliver orders and have to pay some fees or have to take the damages herself because some contracts are, were already been signed and she couldn't just immediately tell them, hey, I have to sell you at a higher cost right now.
2: Luna, thank you so much for joining us. You know, we're looking forward to your, you know, your upcoming story about your visit to uh, Yiwu. And also, it's interesting, the environment we're in right now where we have You know, so many retailers in the U.S. and other parts of of the world who are anxiously awaiting whether or not that container ship that normally took six weeks to get to the West Coast, you know, whether Mm -hmm. or not it gets there at all before Christmas. And, you know, frankly, it feels like you're sitting there in Santa's workshop and the forecast for Christmas is grim. (laughs) I would normally make a joke about, uh, you know, finding coal in your stocking. But at this point, I think China may want that to power the power plants. Uh, So thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Tad. As storm clouds continue to roll across the skies here in Hong Kong, it looks like the storm continues to develop over the global supply chain. And as we've been talking about for years on this podcast, what happens in the factories and wholesale markets of mainland China has a flow-on effect to what happens in the ports in Long Beach, Los Angeles, and New York. You can hear a lot more about the ongoing power outages that are affecting factories across mainland China and how the recent floods in Shanxi province have just complicated plans from Beijing to mine an extra 50 million tons of coal for China's power plants in the latest Inside China podcast. Keep up to date with everything that's happening across China and the world at scmp.com. Follow our political economy team on Twitter at SEMP economy, and you can follow me at Chad Bray. Have a great weekend. See you next week. Stay safe.